Thank you, Carolyn and Ann. Let's turn in our Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 19. Last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 19. I want to read verses 5 through 9, and also in chapter 21, I want to read verse 9. As you find your place today, I am speaking on the church, the bride of Christ. That last Sunday, we looked at Matthew 16, and we saw that Jesus made a promise that he was going to build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. All the powers of death could not overcome uh, and come against the church and destroy the church of Jesus Christ. He made a guarantee. He gave us a, a spoken and a written guarantee that this church that he would build would be effective. It would accomplish the purpose for which God instituted the church. The church is God's plan for taking the gospel to the world and evangelizing the world. You and I have been evangelized because of the church of Jesus Christ and the word of God. And then the Bible tells us that the church is God's plan for growing Christians and maturing Christians in their faith. And so we are the church of Jesus Christ. There are several different terms used to describe the church in the Bible. Last night, uh, rather last Sunday, we briefly looked at three of those. Uh, I mentioned to you the fact that we are called the building of God, the, the body of Christ, and the bride of Christ. And today we're focusing on that one aspect of, of the church being described as the bride of Christ. Now, let me remind you that though we are the bride of Christ, the church, we are wedded to him in commitment. It's a spiritual wedding. It's a, it is a love relationship that we have between Jesus Christ and us individually as believers and collectively as the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Then we also need to understand that the Bible is uh, very clear that this this wedding that has taken place when we actually when we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we were wed to Christ in a sense. But the, the real consummation and the real wedding feast is going to take place when we get to heaven and the church as the bride of Christ is going to be wedded to Christ in a, an official kind of celebration called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's what we read about in Revelation chapter 19 beginning in verse 5. Let me read, you follow along. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants who fear him, the small and the great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And then we skip to chapter 21, verse 9. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, Come here, I shall show you the bride, 
the wife of the lamb. Folks, I know we've all been to weddings. We have been to wedding receptions and we have seen uh, the very simple forms of weddings and receptions and we have seen the most elaborate forms of weddings and wedding celebrations and wedding receptions. But I want you to know none of these earthly weddings come near to comparing with the wedding celebration that's going to take one, one day in heaven between the bride of Christ, the church, and Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was slain from the foundation of the world. He is the Lord of the church. He is the Savior of the church. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm telling you, the Bible says, blessed are those who are invited to this marriage feast. And I can tell you, only those who have a personal, loving relationship with Jesus Christ will be invited to this wedding feast. Only those who have been born again by the Spirit of God. The only people who will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, this marriage feast, will be those who have experienced the new birth, who have come to the point in their life where they realize that they have lived their life for their own glory and their own pleasure and their own purpose. They have sinned against a holy and righteous God, that we have fallen short of the glory of God and we are separated from God because of our sin. And then... As the Holy Spirit has brought conviction in our hearts about our sinfulness, we cast ourselves on the mercy of God who has revealed himself in God the Son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world to offer himself as a sacrifice for, this, for the sins of all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, young and old. If you're in this, this sanctuary today in this worship service, some of you are are uh, older children, some of you are teenagers, some of you are young adults, some meeting adults, and some senior adults. I want you to know that Jesus Christ came to be the Savior of the whole world, but especially of those who believe. You see, Jesus is the Savior of the whole world in the sense that he didn't just wipe us out and send us all to hell the moment we were born into this world because we are born in sin. We, he is the savior of the world in the sense that he is patient and he is allowing man an opportunity and people an opportunity to come to him in faith and to be forgiven of their sins and to be changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to have our sins placed on Jesus and to have our lives transformed by his power. And so it's only by the grace of God that, and that he's the savior of the world in the sense that he does not just send us all to hell immediately, but he is calling to himself a bride. He is calling to himself a church that would be his bride, that would be wedded to him in love, that would have a loving relationship with him. Did you know that all through the Bible, God has always wanted a relationship with his people based on love? Go to Exodus chapter 20 where we read in our daily Bible readings recently, and I spoke to these verses Wednesday night, not realizing that I would actually include these in part of my sermon today. But I want you to see that even in the Ten Commandments, it's based on love. The Ten Commandments were given to man to show us how we can be protected. God is our protector as our bridegroom and we his bride, he protects his church and he has given us the core of his law in these Ten Commandments. And he wants, these, are, these Ten Commandments are for our protection and they're for us to be able to have a loving relationship with our God. Notice the Bible says in verse 20, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, 
out of the house of slavery. And all of us, by the way, are born as slaves of sin. And he says here that I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. And for us today, the Egypt is our slavery to our sin. And he says in verse 3, in, in verse 3 he says, You shall have no other gods before me. Now this is a picture right here of the fact that God's plan is that we be wholly devoted to him. We are, are, are going to be his bride and his people will be his bride. And he is, he, is, he is saving for himself a bride that would be devoted to him. One God, not many gods. Verse 4, he said, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And then in verse 5, he says, you shall not worship them or serve them. And notice what he says else in verse 5. For I am the Lord your God. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing loving kindness. There's that word love. Showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. I'm telling you, God has always wanted a people that would have a love relationship with him. In fact, if you are here today and do not have a love relationship with Jesus Christ, then you do not know him as your Lord and your Savior because you cannot have a relationship with God and be saved and not love him. I had a pastor one time tell me, he said, oh, I believe that you can be a Christian and not love Jesus he was a pastor of a Southern Baptist church over in Starkville, Mississippi. He said, I believe you can be a Christian and not love Jesus. And I said, well, what about the, the verse in 1 Corinthians 16? And turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is the last chapter of this first letter to the church at Corinth. And I want you to notice what it says in verse 22. If anyone, 1 Corinthians 16, 22, almost the very end of that chapter. If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. And then he uses the word Maranatha, which means, O Lord, come, or our Lord, come. And he's invoking the Lord to come back again and receive a church that loves him and a people that love him. I'm telling you that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you don't come just to get some magical fix where you, when you die, you go to heaven. But when you come to Jesus Christ and you receive him and trust the one who died for your sins and he loved you so much and you are reciprocating that love and you're saying, I love you for what you've done for me and I give you my life and you commit your life to Jesus Christ then you are entering into a love relationship with Christ. And throughout the Bible, God has used many different figures of speech to describe this intimate love relationship between himself and his chosen people. We even see uh, in the Old Testament that God wanted a people that would love him and he would love them and they would have a love relationship with each other. But the most intimate and tender word that's used to describe the church in relationship to God is the word bride. We're the bride of Christ and we saw it in Revelation. And we see it in other parts of Scripture. I've already uh, shown you there in Exodus chapter 20 where it speaks about uh, God's love and His loving kindness toward us. 
And then Bart Tingle read out of Hosea today how God wants a people that would, he would be a husband to them. And they would call him husband. That means that they would be the bride of the bridegroom who we know the fulfillment of that is in Jesus Christ. And then in John chapter 3, turn with me to John chapter 3. As we turn to the New Testament, we see that when John the Baptist came, he said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm just the one that's paving the road for him. I'm the one that's announcing his arrival. But then he uses a very, uses a very interesting term. Let me start reading in verse 28, John chapter 3. You yourselves hear me, I'm sorry, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. Now notice this verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. What's he saying there? He's saying that there's one that's about, that I'm about to introduce you to, and he is the bridegroom. John the Baptist said, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm just the attendant. I'm the best man, so to speak. And he said, the best man listens to the bridegroom express his vows of love to the bride, and he rejoices. But the greatest joy is the one that's being married or united together with that bride, and that is Jesus Christ. So it, this is the first New Testament reference to Jesus as a bridegroom, even in this passage. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We read these verses last week, but I want to remind you of them again. Verses 22 to 33. Now, this is a teaching about the love that a husband and wife are to have for each other. But all throughout this passage, it keeps saying, just like the love that Christ has for his church. And though Christ is not said specifically to be the bridegroom and the church his bride in this passage, it's there. It's there. You can't miss it. Notice verse 22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. We saw last week that Jesus is the savior of the church. He is the, the sanctifier or the purifier of the church. He purifies his bride. He cleanses his bride from sin and he saves us and he loves us and he died for us. He purchased us with his own blood. Verse 27, that he might present her or present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. God wants his church to be holy and blameless, and we'll see that more emphatically in just a moment. 
So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And there you see the analogy of us being the body of Christ, but we are members of his body. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. A mystery is something that is veiled and now is made known. In the Old Testament, it was veiled how, how we can have a loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That was veiled in the Old Testament and it's come to light in the New Testament. That's why it's called a mystery. It is a truth hidden in the Old Testament that now is revealed in the New Testament. And then verse 33, Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Now in this teaching about the husband-wife relationship, we see the love that Christ has for his bride, the church. And then in the Revelation passage, we see that Christ is going to come back as the bridegroom. He's going to come back for his church and he's going to receive us one day. And we're going to be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. As a matter of fact, in the, in the Jewish custom, the way they did engagements back then was a little bit different than the way we do engagements today. And I've shared this with you before, but let me just remind you that what would happen is that a young man and his parents would go to the home of the woman that he wanted to become his wife. And the parents of the groom, prospective groom, would meet with the parents of the prospective bride, and the bride and the groom would be there also, and they would talk about the fit for this marriage, if it would be a good match. And they talk about, they find out how the son is going to prospective groom is going to provide for his bride how he's going to support her that's a good question to ask many of you fathers out there have asked that of uh, uh, someone that you were going to give your daughter to marry to you want to know well, how are you going to support my daughter where are you going to live and so they would talk about those practical things of how they would have how this marriage would take place and how things would happen and so the, the they would discuss the fact that the the groom would say, well, we're going to build an extension onto my parents' house and, and we're going to build this and we're going to live there. And then he would, uh, he would pay whatever the price was. The father would actually require a price for the groom to take this daughter to be her bride, to be his bride. Now, we don't do that today, do we? Not exactly. But there was a price to be paid. And I want you to know there was a price to be paid for Jesus to buy his church. And it was through the precious blood that was shed on a cross. That is how the price of the bride was bought. It was through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, even in the Old Testament, I said the Ten Commandments were a, were a, uh, a guidelines for how to have a loving relationship with God. If you go back a few chapters in Exodus, you'll find out that God... Through, gave a, uh, to Moses the covenant that he would have with the people of Israel. And the covenant was based on, on blood that would be shed. And when Moses led the people out of, the, out of Egypt, out of slavery, remember they had, to, they had to 
kill a, a lamb and they had to take the blood and put it over the doorposts of the house, the lintel of the house. And so blood was always a part. There was a cost to the purchase of this bride and there was a cost for the church to be bought by Christ and that was the price of his own blood that was shed for us. That's how much the Lord Jesus loves us. And so this young man, once the, he had agreed to the payment for this bride, he would, he would uh, give the sum of money and then he would go with his parents back home and he and his father would start working on this home, the extension on the home, the parents' home. And they would work, sometimes it would be a year for this to be completed. And so during this time, the wife, the bride-to-be, would be preparing herself. She would be making herself beauty, beautiful externally and beautifully internally. She would also be preparing the things that would be needed for homemaking in a new home together with her husband-to-be. And then the, the groom would be preparing the house where they would live and working with the father. And when that was completed, then he would go and receive his bride. She might live in the next village or the next town. She might live a distance away. But he would go to get her and say, it is time for the wedding. And so he would receive the bride. And she had to be ready at all times because she didn't know when the bridegroom was coming. In the same way, we don't know when the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, is coming back to this earth to receive us unto himself. And we have to be ready and be prepared at all times. And so normally a year would go by and then the groom would come and it might be at night. That's why the bride and the bridesmaids had to have their lamps ready and their oil ready so that if the groom came at night, they would have their lamps and they could go with him and the wedding party and they would travel back to where the wedding would take place. In the same way, we are to be making ourselves prepared for the time when our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, comes to receive us for the great wedding feast that's going to take place in heaven one day. Now, with that background, let me give you three brief points to kind of hang our thoughts on this morning and to organize our thoughts around the scriptures about the bride, the church being the bride of Christ. As we await the return of the bridegroom, we must be First of all, pure. Secondly, we must be passionate. And thirdly, we must be prepared. And let me talk about those three words for just a moment this morning. First of all, we must be pure. We must be pure. A groom wants a bride that is pure. And a bride wants a bridegroom that is pure. And I'm telling you, we have a, a bridegroom who is sinless. He is perfect. And we are to make ourselves Pure, pure as we set aside the old garments and the old life and we put are renewed in our minds and we put on the new life and we put on righteousness and we start preparing ourselves right now in this day in which we live. We as the church of Jesus Christ are preparing ourselves for the day that we will celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. And when our Lord comes back, He doesn't want to find a church that is with spot and stain and wrinkle because of our sin. He doesn't want our bridal clothes, the, 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 bride's, the bridal gown that the bride uh, would have. If it had a spot or a stain or was soiled, it would take away from the joy of the ceremony. You want the bride's dress to be clean. In the same way, Jesus wants his bride 
to be, have clean, not just garments, but clean hearts and clean lives and be living pure lives. God expects us to be spotless and holy and without blame. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and 23 and 24, it says that in reference to your former manner of life that you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And then in Romans chapter 13, we see that the Lord wants his church to be pure Romans chapter 13, beginning verse 11. Notice what the Bible says. And this do, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. We must forsake that which defiles the mind and corrupts the heart and destroys the body, those sins that are displeasing to God. We must lay aside those sins and put on righteousness. Just like adultery in marriage is heartbreaking experience, so is spiritual adultery. Every time God's people give themselves or give their hearts to someone or something other than Him, then He is jealous for our love. I want you to think about today. What if Christ were to come back today? What is it in your life? Would your life be a life that's being lived for His glory? Would your life be a life that's being lived in purity and holiness? Or do you have sin, hidden sin, dirty sin, covered up sin that would be exposed when Christ comes back again? Listen, God deserves our best. He wants a pure bride. He wants a loving bride. He wants a bride that puts away all other sources of delight as far as pleasure and, and, a, and a relationship. He wants to be supreme in our allegiance and in our love. He, he deserves our total and supreme allegiance and love. He is jealous for us. So we need to be pure as the bride of Christ. Secondly, we need to be passionate. We need to be passionate. What does that mean? It means to be devoted. It means to be enthusiastic. You know what it means if somebody says, I'm passionate about football. I'm passionate about the Alabama Crimson Tide. Or I'm passionate about my golf game. Or, I'm passionate about... Whatever it is that, that sometimes we have things that we are passionate about. Well, I want you to know that we are to be devoted and enthusiastic, passionate about our relationship with Jesus Christ. We must, we must be cultivating this love that was birthed in us when we came to faith in Jesus Christ. It must be cultivated. It must grow. I don't know about you, but... I, I thought I loved my wife as much as I could love her when we first got married. But we've been married for 41 years now. And I can tell you, I love her more today than I loved her 41 years ago. The, more, the longer you're married, that love ought to grow. But we have to facilitate that. We have to nurture that growth. Just as a wedding ceremony marks the beginning of a relationship, it's not, it's not the culmination, it's not the end of that relationship, it's just the beginning of that relationship. We must constantly seek to deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And if we don't do that, we will leave or walk away from our first love. That's what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, notice what the Bible says. But, we, but I have this against you, Jesus is speaking here to the church at Ephesus, And he gives all these good things about the church, but he says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. You see, it's very possible in a marriage relationship to lose that first love kind of relationship. It's real easy when you get married to be all excited at first and when you're even courting your, your wife to just do everything possible to make her happy and please her and be polite and courteous and show her attention and show love to her. Then you get married, it's a whole other ball game for a lot of men, isn't it? I mean, you, there are a lot of men that let that love die. They let that love grow cold. And that can happen in our relationship with Jesus Christ if we're not careful we can let the love, the fire go out of the, of the love between the bride, the church, and Jesus Christ, the bridegroom. And that's why Jesus is saying here to the church at Ephesus, you've got a lot of good things going on in your church, and, and there's a lot of good things about your church, but there's one thing, you have left your first love. You don't have that first love, passionate relationship that you had in the beginning. Listen, As the bride of Christ, we need to be pure, living lives of purity and holiness so that when our bridegroom comes that we are ready for the wedding celebration in heaven. But we also need to be passionate and and growing in our love for Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 3, we see Paul, the apostle Paul, praying for the church. The church at Ephesus, the same church we just read about in Revelation. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and following, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. That means he prays. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. The Apostle Paul knew that he wanted the church to grow in their love for Christ. He wanted that love to be nurtured. He wanted them to be passionate about their love. We need to be passionate about our relationship with Jesus Christ. It must take priority over all other desires and pursuits in our life. Well, we need to be pure as we await for the bridegroom to come back and receive us, his bride. We need to be passionate, devoted, enthusiastic, and we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. Those of you who have had daughters to get married, uh, you understand, or sons too, you understand some of the preparations that have to take place when a couple decides to get married. First of all, they have to schedule the date. And they have to coordinate it with all the ones that they want to make sure can be there for that wedding. And then they have to secure the pastor, the one that would be leading the ceremony. They have to uh, line up the counseling with that pastor to help them to be prepared for the marriage to come. 
Then there's the, the lining up of a florist and a photographer and a caterer and there's a dress to be picked out and purchased. And then you select the wedding party, the, the bridesmaids and the grooms, groomsmen that will be in that wedding and all the other people that will be a part of that wedding party. And then there's a wedding coordinator that helps coordinate the whole project of the wedding. And then there's uh, ordering the cake and the person that's going to make that cake and, and how that cake's going to look and the colors and all of that. And then the invitations have to be prepared and, and sent out. And that's a, a pretty big job right there. It takes months, really, to do what I've just described to you. It's the preparation time. Well, let me tell you, we need to be prepared for the bridegroom's return he has gone to heaven and is preparing a place for us in John chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Look with me. John chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. See what the Bible says about the bridegroom who has gone to prepare a place for us in heaven. The Bible says, let, Jesus says, let not, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Listen, God is preparing a place for us in his heavenly home. Just like in the Jewish culture, the bridegroom and the father would prepare a home for the bride. In the same way, the Lord has gone to heaven and he says, I'm, I am going to prepare a place for you when I'm through. When I'm finished, I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you can be also. So while we wait for the bridegroom, we need to be engaged in accomplishing the task that he's left us to do on this earth. We're to be partners with him in the, in the ministry of sharing the gospel message of redemption with other people. We need to be a part of the work of the church and strengthen the body of Christ as we, could, as we are a part of helping to spread the work of the kingdom of God. So we have something to do while we are waiting for our Lord to come back. We need to be prepared when he returns again. The Lord needs to find us faithful, not slothful, not lazy, not shirking our responsibility. He needs to find us engaged in doing the work and ministry of the church and carrying out the great commission that he has left for us to do, which is to take the gospel to all nations and to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and to teach them to observe all the things they're to do in living for the Lord. Let me close. So we're to be pure, we're to be passionate, and we're to be prepared as we await for the coming of the bridegroom. Some of you may remember this story if you've studied ancient mythological literature when you were in school, but there's a story about a man named Ulysses and a girl named Penelope, and they were married together, and they were madly in love with each other. And this is a myth. This is, this is not a true story, but it's a story that's been passed down through literature for, for ages. And it's a story that has a point that we can apply to what I've just preached to you today. And so Ulysses had to go off to battle and he left his beautiful bride at home while he was off in battle. Well, no one knew it was going to take such a long time that he would be gone for such a long period of time. In fact, 20 years passed and he had not returned from war. And so Penelope knew in her heart that after that length of time, probably he would never return. There were other suitors who kept requesting her hand in marriage, them too knowing 
that he had probably been killed in battle and would never return to her. And they wanted, she was so beautiful that she, they wanted her to be married to her. And so a hundred noble men asked her for her hand in marriage and she would always put them off. She would say, well, I'll let you know after I weave this certain piece of tapestry. And so she would stay up all night weaving this piece of tapestry that she was weaving and then all or rather she would stay up, during the day she would work at weaving this tapestry and then at night she would stay up and undo what she had woven during the day. And so she was putting off these men, that's what she was doing. She did not want to give her heart to somebody else because she still loved the one that was off at war and perhaps even dead. And so they kept pursuing and kept being persistent. So finally one day she said, okay. She said, I tell you what, she said, the one who can draw the bow of, of my husband uh, Ulysses, the one that has the strength to match Ulysses, I will marry that man. And so the, all these suitors came into the palace and they were all taking their turn to pull this bow. But she knew that her husband was a man of great strength and nobody but her husband could pull this bow. It was so tightly made. And so one by one, they tried to pull the bow and they couldn't do it. And finally, there comes in a man off the street, a man who is a beggar, and he finds his way into the palace and he sees what these suitors are doing as they try to gain her hand in marriage. And he sees that none of them are able to draw the bow and shoot the arrow. And so this beggar walks up and picks up that bow and he draws the bow and the arrow goes and he proved himself and he revealed himself to be Ulysses disguised as a beggar. And the story says that he, after taking revenge on all these other men who were pursuing his wife in marriage, after he took care of them, that he and his wife were restored in their marriage and their love relationship together. And here's the point. If a woman like Penelope could wait for 20 years without a word of hope that her husband would ever return and be faithful to him, how much more can we, the church, the bride of Christ, our father, our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, has gone to heaven to prepare a place for us. We have promises all through the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, that he is going to come back again and receive us unto himself. How can we not be faithful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our bridegroom? We need to be a faithful bride, pure and passionate and prepared and ready when our Lord comes back again. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would draw hearts to you today of those that do not know you, Lord. Bring them into a love relationship as they, by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that there would be those saved in this service today as we give our invitation. And, Lord, for those who have already been saved, help us, Lord, to be pure and help us to be passionate and help us to be prepared, Father, as we await your coming, as we await your second coming. And we look forward to the time when we will participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, Father, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for shedding your blood, Lord Jesus, to purchase your bride, the church, and you've allowed us to be a part of that. You've, you've called us into, into your fellowship, Father, through the Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for including us and being faithful to us. 
Help us, oh God, to be faithful to you day by day. So when you come back again, we have nothing to be ashamed of. And I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me now as we sing our song of invitation. And as we sing, we invite you to come to Christ. We invite you to talk with the Lord in prayer and communicate to Him anything that you need to talk with Him about that God may reveal to your heart during this time as we've opened the Word of God. You respond as God has spoken as we sing this song. You come. Maybe you need a church home. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to Christ. Maybe you need to come for salvation. You come as we sing.